you know, it was strange because by all accounts, I had, I mean, I guess what you could say seemingly was a really idyllic childhood. Like when I was actually a little kid, we had all these siblings around. My mom ran in-home daycare, so there was a bunch of other kids always around. It, it was fun. It's very fun. Around when I hit puberty, it just changed. And I became then the target for her rage and, and anger. This is Post Ugly. I'm Ruth Solorzano. Child abuse is a phenomenon that can be traced back in the archaeological record to ancient Egypt. In 2013, a group of archaeologists found remains of a two- to three-year-old child who had a number of bone fractures throughout the body, on places like the forearm, ribs, pelvis, and back. The trauma and the injuries were all in different stages of healing, which is the biggest indicator that it was caused by abuse. The point is, abuse is nothing new. So there was some stuff that I recognize now was very harmful. At the time, I just like, oh, I, all moms, I guess, talk that way. And I would start with things like, oh, I'm so fat. I've gained so much weight. Can I borrow your jeans? How old are you? 13. Just when your body is changing and you're already insecure. And from there, she got very controlling about what boys I was allowed to see, who I wasn't. Show up places would obsessively call if I was somewhere. A lot of that then turned into, you're stupid, you're a, you're a dumb whore. Just, like, If I can control you with my mouth, I never have to put my hands on you. This is Dr. Christy Jenkins. She has been working in the social services field for over 25 years and is core faculty at Walden University and the CEO of the Family and Child Abuse Prevention Center. And so as long as there's psychological warfare going on and there is this verbal control and the, you know, gaslighting and all of these different tools, and that is getting the results that I want, I don't have to put my hands on you. But as soon as you start saying, no, I'm not doing that or... Uh, you know, acting funky about it, then I have to up the ante and I really have to start putting my hands on you or start pushing you around or, um, you know, doing something that is very physical. I went to sleep over at a friend's house who was a boy and she was okay with it. She knew I wasn't interested in this boy. Everyone got very drunk and I blacked out. I woke up with my ex-boyfriend on top of me. I remember a friend coming in. Are you Okay. So we were in a separate room, and I just was like, yeah, I didn't really think a lot of it. Like, I knew it was bad, and it was a bad night. So I, I came home the next morning. The other friend who had dropped us off had mentioned that my ex-boyfriend was there. And, I mean, she just, her entire face dropped, and um, I got out of there. I was like, I gotta go, bye. It's like, I know something bad's gonna happen. So my friend leaves, she chases me up the stairs and says, was he there? Was he there? And I was just like, no, no, I don't know why he said that. I don't know why he said that he wasn't there. And she strangled me. I think she stopped after she saw the sheer terror in my face. I was borderline assaulted the night before. It would have been nice to be able to come home to my mom and say, this really bad thing happened. And 
instead I was met with, with worse, almost, in my mind. What did your dad do? Um, nothing. That's a big thing I've had to reconcile with. He, he often would pull me aside and say, you know I fight for you privately. A child doesn't understand all the adult dynamics, so they think that they're not worthy of being fought for in the daylight, you know? I know that 50% in houses where adults are being abused by their partner, 50% of the children are also being abused. So I would say often it's because they themselves are, are being abused and maybe they, they feel like they themselves don't have a voice or a choice. They can't save their children. A lot of them would try very hard to, to navigate that, you know, to try. I know a lot of parents who would try and put the focus on themselves as opposed to having their children be. But I do see folks who also have the opposite. Sometimes it takes the pressure off of them. And so that's unfortunate, but that also does happen. In the early 1870s, Etta Wheeler sought help from Henry Berg to rescue an eight-year-old child who was suffering daily whippings and beatings from her foster home. Berg had founded the ASPCA a few years earlier and argued that laws protecting animals from abuse should not be greater than laws protecting children. A judge convicted the foster mother of assault and battery and gave her a one-year sentence. The child's case generated enough outrage over child abuse that in 1874, Henry Berg helped form the New York Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children, which is still around today. Recognizing and stopping abuse has been a struggle for centuries. As a survivor, it is difficult to even realize that you have been abused until it's too late, especially as a child. I remember being under, it was a eucalyptus tree because they have that smell that cough drop smell I was in fourth grade I had all my little girlfriends who were eating in like a circle and I remember saying something my stepfather kissing me in a certain way right it's like at a, a scene out of vacation when they're on that Peter Potter I'm going steady and I French kiss so everybody does that yeah but daddy says I'm the best at it and they all just looked at me like I know that's not supposed to happen. It was kind of my first indication, like, this is not normal. I think people, they talk about these stories where they have this incident and they remember it forever. But mine went on so long, it was abnormal, but it was normal. When we talk about coping mechanisms and how kids make peace with this, they think that everybody grows up like this. This is how relationships work. They want everything to be normal, and so they're trying really hard to cope in that capacity. They also can tend to blame themselves or turn the pressure on themselves if they're fearful that one of their parents is going to get beat up or they're scared they're going to be killed. They could do something to kind of turn it on themselves so that the attention is there and so that they can kind of distract with that. In a house with child abuse or domestic violence, there's so much anxiety. And so trying so hard to um, 
to help when it feels like the other shoe is about to drop. They had this thing called peer counseling when I was a kid. They should never have this because middle schoolers are so histrionic. I had real things going on, and I, I remember telling one of the peer counselors about it. I said something, and they called the police. The police called the house. And I was, I think, in eighth grade, maybe, maybe seventh grade. And I answered the phone, and I told them I made it all up. So they'd go away. I couldn't handle that kind of disruption. Um, I wanted everything to stay the same. So we know that folks leave an abuser on average eight times before they get out for good. Some folks might leave one time and some folks might leave 16 times. And what we find is that when folks are being abused and they leave, they take that power and control. So you are far more likely to be killed leaving than staying. Also, if you're a child, where are you going to go? What if you are so young that you couldn't get a job or you couldn't make your way out? Uh, when folks say, um, you know, why don't they leave this situation or why don't they tell somebody? There's also a lot of emotionality in that. So your father is abusing you. You love your father. You just want the abuse to stop. You see how good that person can be at times. Why can't that person be that way all the time? It's, it's a total paradigm shift for folks to think like, I don't have to be abused. I can get out of this. But then how can you if you don't have a place to go, if you don't have money to support yourself, if you're not an appropriate age, if you know that you're go going to go to Aunt Jennifer's house and he's just going to come running after you and you're going to get beat up twice as bad as you normally would, why in the universe would you leave? You've already been told about strangers dressing up in uniforms, but there are other traps you need to know about. Stranger Danger, a popular campaign that came out in the 60s in response to the media's coverage of child abuse both in the United States and in England. It might have had good intentions, but it definitely had poor results. The message, never talk to strangers, does not fully educate kids on how to stay safe. Strangers aren't usually the problem. In fact, over 90% of abuse is caused by someone you know and trust. It happens in your home. It happens at your friend's house. It happens at a neighbor's. It can happen within your community with people who have the inside view. I told my brother about a client. I was in the basement, and he didn't know what I was doing down there, and uh, I broke down and told him. And how did he respond? He was good about it. Okay. He might have already known. Really? Why do you think that? All of us went to see Kevin, but he had his favorites. And I was one of his favorites. If you're one of his favorites, will you fight a lot more? And you're supposed to fight. That's what right. uh, you go there for. But you tournaments and you fight other people. And so I was one of those people who fought a lot. I was pretty good at it. He would say that since you were fighting, you need a massage. Oh, okay, yeah. I'm one of the fighters. I get a massage at the end of the week. And it just 
went down from there. One summer, me and another friend, we used to go around uh, like knocking on people's doors around, asking for like odd jobs, you know, we'd wash cars, we'd clean garages, we'd do gardening, like just anything that someone wanted us to do. We made quite a lot of money, really, that summer, and it was fun. It was ridiculously risky, two 10-year-old boys, 11-year-old boys, but by and large, everyone was really cool, we had a great time. At that point, that's when I met the abuser. He was in a park, and he just said, hey, do you want to come and cut my head? We went over, and we started from there, really. It went on for three years before I think of it as breaking the spell. What broke the spell? Uh, I had a girlfriend. So I was about, I was 13, and she was fantastic. Nice girl, and I learned to kiss with her and all that stuff. You know, even though I'd been doing formal intimate things, really kind of disassociated from that in a way, you know, and it didn't feel real. I like girls, you know, I was actually quite a sort of horny kid, really, you know, I was kind of really interested in girls quite early, but nerdy and geeky and 12 and 13 girls, don't think much notice of you. But this one did, and we had quite a long high school relationship. It was about 18 months to two years, which in high school terms is like forever. And it was like a solid, healthy relationship. Building a support system is just absolutely imperative because what we see it during times of abuse, you don't have anyone because you've been isolated. And so the abuser wants to keep you away from everybody because if you have friends or you're hanging out or you go to after school activities or you have a school counselor, you might you know, mess up and tell somebody. And so after abuse, it's really important to wrap yourself up with people who build you up. I was about 11 when he was telling me that he wanted to see me take a shower. One night I was laying in bed and I like decided that I was going to tell my mom because it was making me feel uncomfortable. My mom was watching something on TV. I start crying. She's asking what's wrong, and I tell her about somebody wanting to see me take a shower, but I can't say his name. And she starts cycling through names, asking me if it's my real dad or if it's one of my cousins or something. And then she finally comes to his name. My mom called him. She told me to go back to bed. She came back into my room, and she's like, he wants to talk to you. And I, like, don't want to, but she's like, it's okay, I'm going to be there. So I sit at the table. I remember it was, like, our kitchen table. He's at the other end, and my head is on the table, face down. He tells my mom that he was glad that I told her because he was testing me. He was testing to make sure if anybody else said something like that to me that I would tell my mom. And my mom believed him. Research will show you that the greatest indicator of how well a child will do after being abused is the parental response to the abuse by the non-offending caregiver. So by someone not believing a child, it just decimates their spirit, their self-worth, their self-esteem, because they're saying that I don't recognize your reality. And so you know what you have experienced, and most 
kids have experienced that for a very long time before they actually tell. So when you're saying this is what is happening to me and someone says, nope, I don't believe it. So a lot of things can happen. You can absolutely recoil and just say, okay, I guess that didn't happen. It can make you doubt yourself. Did it really happen? Is it happening the way that I I said it? You know, was it really that bad? Did I bring it on myself? So there's a lot of self-doubt, self-worth issues. There is um, a huge fear factor in that because I now know in this moment that you are not going to protect me. You did not do that. So not only am I living with an abuser, I'm living with someone who doesn't believe me and who will not protect me. If the the parent who you told doesn't believe you and goes to your abuser and says, hey, you wanna know what Ruth said? And then the abuser gets even more angry and beats you up even worse. I mean, it's just a circle and a cycle of you to just shut your mouth, which is a very scary place to be. Growing up and realizing I had been abused as a child was something I had no idea how to handle. I felt an enormous amount of guilt, shame, pain, and fear for what had happened to me, and it took a lot of work to push through. The bitter news is I'm not alone. Nearly 700,000 children are abused in the U.S. each year, but the actual number is likely underreported. This season, we will witness the courage it takes to be a survivor and shine a light on an open secret that's plaguing our world as we speak. The guest speaker for this season is Dr. Christy Jenkins, who is the CEO of the Family and Child Abuse Prevention Center and core faculty at Walden University. For more information and resources, visit fcapc.org. If you know of a child being abused, please report it to your local children advocacy center or call 1-800-4-A-CHILD. Original music and sound production by Hugo Fowler. Original artwork by Jay Brooks Robinson. This show was produced and edited by me, Ruth Solorzano. If you like Post Ugly, please follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Give us a review and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps other people find the show. And thank you to our courageous survivors for sharing your stories. Thank you.